launching two books, Manoshi Sinha's uh, Saffron Swords and Major General G.D. Bakshi's Saraswati Civilization. I invite all the guests on stage. Our uh, chief guest for today is Sri Tathagata Roy, the Honorable Governor of Meghalaya, has arrived. I invite the chief guest along with Major General Bakshi, Manoshi Sinha, Professor Smriti Kumar Sarkar, Dr. Jishnu Basu to take their seats on the stage. Before starting this part of the program, we will have the national anthem. I invite all of you to please stand up for the national anthem. To uh, offer floral tributes to the portraits of Bharat Mata and Mananiya Baba Saheb Apteji, the inspiration behind Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti, and all the other guests on the dais too. At the outset, we will introduce and welcome all our guests for today. Our uh, chief guest for today is Sri Tathagata Roy, the Honorable Governor of Meghalaya. Sri Roy is a construction engineer by profession. He has been teaching in Jadavpur University. He has also had a long and illustrious political career and is also a writer and commentator on social, political, and religious issues. I invite, on behalf of Indic Academy and Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti, Dr. Progoti Bandopadhyay, part-time lecturer in history in St. Xavier's College, to uh, welcome and felicitate Sri Tathagata Roy for today. Among our authors, we have Major General G.D. Bakshi, a very well-known name. I don't think he needs to be introduced to any of you, but he has been a very distinguished officer, and uh, he is also a decorated soldier with the uh, Vishisht Seva Medal and uh, Sena Medal. 
to his credit, and uh, he has headed anti-terrorist operations in Jammu and Kashmir, a military and strategic expert. We have seen him on uh, TV panels and discussions. He is also a writer on ancient Indian history and on many other dharmic and uh, social issues. I invite Srimati Mohashita Chakraborty, Matri Shakti Pramukh of uh, Sanskar Bharati, the premier cultural organization of this country, to welcome and felicitate Major General G.D. Bakshi. We welcome General Bakshi to this program and to our city of Kolkata. And among the authors whose books are going to be released in Kolkata today, we have Srimati Manoshi Sinha, who is the author of uh, Saffron Swords. She is from Assam, now settled in Delhi, and is a full-time researcher and writer on Indian history, Indic causes, and is also very active on the uh, social media and other uh, technology platforms. I invite on our behalf uh, Srimoti Paromita Niyogi, pro, uh, pro, uh, Srimoti Paromita Niyogi, Behala Shakha Secretary of the Cultural Organization Sanskar Bharati, to welcome and felicitate Srimoti Manoshi Sinha to our evening's program and to Kolkata. We have, as the guest of honor today, Dr. Vishnu Basu, who is a faculty member of the Shaha Institute of Nuclear Physics and is also a prominent social activist who is working for a cultural, political, social uh, revival in West Bengal and a, a return to Indic thoughts in West Bengal. He is also a commentator and a columnist in many uh, newspapers and the media. I invite Srimoti Ronita Chando, a senior officer in a commercial uh, firm and also a prominent social media activist on dharmic issues to welcome and felicitate Dr. Jishnu Basu to this program on our behalf. We have Professor Dr. Smriti Kumar Sarkar presiding over today's evening. Dr. Sarkar is a professor of history from Kalyani University. He is one of the renowned, most renowned historians of modern India today, specializing on technology and other uh, aspects of social history. Uh, Dr. Sarkar has been the Vice-Chancellor of Bardhaman University and is now actively associated with many uh, central government uh, research institutions like the National Library, Indian Museum, 
the uh, Maulana Abul Kalam Azad Institute of Asian Studies, etc. I invite Srimoti Sutanuka Naik, student activist, to welcome and felicitate Professor Dr. Smriti Kumar Sarkar to this program. I now invite Dr. Sarkar, as he is presiding over today's evening, to deliver a short welcome address. I feel privileged to welcome His Excellency, Honorable Governor of Meghalaya, Sri Tathagata Rai. As you all know, a brilliant student and Jesse Bosch National science talent search scholar. He studied civil engineering from the present-day IIEST Shippur, served railways as an engineer to scale as high as general manager rights, and civil engineer design of the metro railways. He took voluntary retirement from the railways and joined Yadavpur University to found Department of Construction Engineering at its Salt Lake campus, a former chairman, Board of Governors of TTI, Calcutta, 2000-2005, Sri Roy received a number of awards from different academic institutions of the country. After retiring from the service, in 1990 he joined BJP and served as the president of the West Bengal State Unit of the party. He was appointed governor of, the, uh, governor of Tripura on 12th May 2015 and was transferred and appointed as governor of Meghalaya in August 2018. As an academician, Sri Tathagata Rai has to his credit a number of books on engineering and different aspects of the exodus of Bengali Hindu refugees from East Pakistan, stroke Bangladesh. He is widely known all over the country for his seminal work on Shamaprasad Mukherjee, published in 2018. On behalf of the Bharatiya Itihas Shankalan Samiti, I welcome you, sir, for your august presence here, notwithstanding your busy schedule. We are much obliged to you, sir. My gratitude to Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti for giving me the opportunity to introduce Major General Dr. Gagandeep Bakshi, popularly called Major General G.D. Bakshi, to the audience here. He is Sarthak Nama, Gagandeep, literally the celestial light beaming up in the sky to draw the attention of everyone far and wide. Today, Major General Bakshi doesn't need any introduction, introduction to any audience in any part of the country. A prolific writer, Major General Bakshi has authored 38 books till today on both the military and non-military subjects. His two, his two books on Netaji Shubhas Chandra Bose, Bose or Gandhi, Who Got India Her Freedom, and Bose, an Indian Samurai, uh, Netaji and the INA, a military assessment, have been widely acclaimed. Commissioned in the Jammu and Kashmir Rifles, Major General Bakshi was actively involved in new made skirmishes on the lock line of actual control, a veteran in handling counter-terrorist operations in Jammu and Kashmir and Punjab. He was honored with the Bishish Seva Medal for commanding a battalion in operations in the Kargil War. 
He also received Sena Medal for operations in Kistwar. Major General Bokshi served two tenures as the Director General of Military Operations. He was the first BGS IW, that is Information Warfare, at Headquarters Nardan Command associated with the information warfare and psychological operations. Major General Bokshi is also the editor of Indian Military Review. But to common Indians like us, he is best known for his unforgettable slots on the TV talk shows as a military analyst. He always speaks. He always speaks from knowledge and experience, often searchers with an unmatched sense of involvement and patriotic zeal that permeates the minds of his audience. In medieval Indian kingdoms, Bakshi used to be at the top of the administration, next to the king, while Sarkar used to be the head of a small administrative unit like district, Sarkar e Sarkaran. Following the protocol of the same tradition of our land, this Sarkar this evening bows to you, sir. <laughs> The book written by Major General Dr. G.D. Bakshi to be launched here is Sharashati Civilization. It questions the age-old thesis of Aryan invasion and its later adjunct, the thesis of Aryan migration into India. Like all of us here, I am eager to listen to his enlightening discussion on the subject. The book is a welcome addition to the recent revision of the Aryanization thesis based on scientific data like satellite imageries and genetic data, genetic evidence studied with a reference to the rereading of archaeological and literary sources. The revisionist scholars argue that there is no solid evidence of any migration, much less invasion of population from Central Asia into India. India has emerged as the oldest continuous civilizations on earth, which continues to fertilize, <coughs> fertilize the West with its profound spirituality. I will remind you all of the old adage, ex oriente lux, meaning out of the East, light comes. Uh, on behalf of the Bharatiya Itihas Shankalan Samiti, I am equally delighted to welcome the other distinguished guest of the evening, Srimati Manoshi Shinarawal. It's really amazing to see that at this age she has already authored eight books, which include her much publicized two books on Lord Krishna, namely The Eighth Avatar and Blue Vanquisher. Srimati Manoshi Shinarawal is a collaborative author of DGP English Involvement Co Improvement Course, a bestseller for long 13 years. With a postgraduate from the University of Pune, Srimati Rawal is a rare combination of talents at this age, an author, poet, blogger, and a certified astrologer. As if this is not enough, she is also an avid traveling, uh, a heritage traveler, who along with her husband, Sri Jogendra Singh Rawal, undertakes exploratory trips to left aside temples of the ancient and medieval era, uh, almost in a mission mood to share her knowledge and understanding with a nationwide audience. Durdarshan invited her on the, uh, on the occasion of Navaratri to talk on the goddess Durga. Manushi Shina Ravel 
has launched an e-magazine, myindiamyglory.com, designed to talk about the, using uh, the unsung glories of Bharat, thereby retrieving the treasure tropes of uh, Indian history and heritage. The book going to be launched here is Saffron Source, which contains 52 tales of valor of Indian warriors over a period of 1300 years. Warriors who offered heroic resistance, won victories, and fought till their last breath, first against the Islamic invaders and then against the British. The book to be uh, un unfolded here, just the beginning, the Saffron Source is just the beginning of a long series which is to come. A unique match for each other, her husband, Sri Jogadi Toshina Rawal, is the co-author of the book, Saffron Source. The two books, Saraswati Civilization and Saffron Source, written by two distinguished scholars, have one thing in common. Both, both serve the crucial purpose of rereading Indian history, which is also the crying need of the hour. Before Isaac Newton had seen the apple falling from the tree, apple always fell to the ground, and many a person must have seen that, but nobody behaved like Newton. He started thinking about its causality, why did it fall to the ground, and out came the clue from his within. Power doesn't flow from the barrel of the gun. Actually, it comes from the within the within human mind, the knowledge. The knowledge is the real power. And history is an important embodiment, a tool of knowledge, so far as the power of a nation is concerned. Rereading of history empowers the people as a given national entity to learn from their past failures and sources of strength and unity. Cultural regeneration is impossible without a proper understanding of its historical context. The world history in general and the history of Asia in particular abound with important examples of the national upsurge through cultural re uh, regeneration based on interpretation of history. From my lifelong association with the discipline of history, I foresee that the two books to be launched here would significantly contribute to that cause. My kudos to the two distinguished guests on the desk. Uh, our sages said, Vidyatancha nepatancha naivatullam kadachana shadeshe pujyate raja vidwan sharvatra pujyate. Kolkata, the city of knowledge and awakening, has always welcomed scholars from all over the world. Let us all unite in our humble ovation to the two scholars of the evening. Thank you. After Dr. Sarkar's address, welcoming the guests, authors, and all of us to today's program, we will now have the actual part of the program, that is the unveiling, the uh, launching of the two books. First of all, we will have the release, the uh, Kolkata release of the book, Saraswati Civilization by Major General G.D. Bakshi. I invite the Honorable Governor, Shri Tathagato Roy, to uh, unveil the book and... release the book in Kolkata for sale.
So now we have this book, uh, Saraswati Civilization by Major General G.D. Bakshi, available over here. And as you have seen, while entering, both the books are here for sale. So uh, all of you can uh, get a copy while leaving. We will now have the launching of the second book, that is Saffron Swords by Manushi Sinha Rawal. I invite the president of today's program and also the president of Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti, West Bengal, Professor Smriti Kumar Sarkar, to unveil this book, to unveil this book for the benefit of all the readers of Kolkata. And let's all have a big clap for the authors and for the success of this book which is a very important contribution to Indic thought and our intellectual history. We are now going to hear more about the subject. Both these books are very important contributions to the new uh, thinking which is uh, rooted in Indic thought and in the uh, thought of this country which has been there for ages and we have to reroute ourselves and our thoughts to our uh, age-old Indic values. After the formal launching of uh, both the books, I now invite uh, Srimoti Manoshi Sinha Rawal, the author of uh, Saffron Swords, to say a few words about the writing of this book. Bande Mataram, Namaskar, respected Honorable Governor Sri Tathagata Roy, respected Dr. Jishnu Basu, respected Dr. Professor Smriti Kumar Sarkar, respected Major General G.D. Bakshi, our respected dignitaries present here, and my dear ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. It is such a, I'm very, very elated to be here in the land of uh, intellect and bravery, which has inspired our countrymen which has always inspired our countrymen. Bengal has produced so many people of uh, intellect and bravery that uh, it is very difficult to take all the names. I would like to mention few names like uh, Swami Vivekananda, Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose, Ras Bihari Bose, then uh, Bhagha Jatin, to name a few. 
I have uh, included the, the chronicles of valor of uh, Khudiram Bose, Binoy, Badal, and Dinesh. Uh, the three are taken together, the names are taken together. Then Santi Ghosh and Suniti Chaudhary, all uh, daughters of brave sons and daughters of Bharat Mata from Bengal, in my book, Saffron Swords. As uh, Smriti Kumarji has already said, Saffron Swords is a book on uh, 52 warriors, warriors who offered uh, resistance, won battles, and fought till their last breath, first against uh, Islamic invaders and then the British. This is the first in the series. There will be many more volumes coming up, and uh, each volume will have 52 warriors from each and every corner of Bharat. Our history books, our academic history books, provide portray only a one-sided narrative. We have been projected as losers, as defeated. So how do we draw inspiration from our warrior ancestors, fr from our academic history textbooks? Because uh, school children are like clay. Their thoughts can be molded to a particular ideology by feeding them thoughts of that ideology. And uh, our history books snub out anything that could lead to a nationalistic pride. So I would like to quote uh, Marcus Garvey, a Jamaican-born political leader and social activist. He said, he rightly said, a country's people without the knowledge of their past history, culture, and origin is like a tree without roots. Do we really know about our past history in the true sense of the term? Do we really know about our warrior ancestors, especially from the 8th century till independence, the warrior ancestors who saved our great-great-great-grandparents because of whom we are here carrying forward the legacy of our thousands of years old civilizational identity. So if we ask anyone who Mohammed Ghori is, who Babur is, who Mahmud of Ghazni is, who Akbar is, who Aurangzeb is, who Robert Clive is, who Lord Curzon is, who Lord Mountbatten is, everyone will answer easily. And they can even describe in detail the entire Mughal rulers in the chronological order. But ask them about Raja Prithu of Assam. Ask them about Rampiari Gurjar. Ask them about Naiki Devi of Gujarat, Narasimha Deva of Orissa, Rani Roipulyani of Mizoram, Pasaltha Khongchara, Matmur Jamo of uh, Arunachal Pradesh, Muladabharu of Assam, Kapaya Nayaka of Warangal, Kuili of Tamil Nadu. So these are few warriors. You ask them, no one can answer. Isn't it very unfortunate that we know nothing about our warrior ancestors who saved our civilization, who saved our great-great-grandparents because of whom we are here? So few, the few of the names that I have taken are all there in uh, Saffron Swords. There are three perspectives in Indian history. Because uh, when we talk about history uh, from the 8th century till independence, uh, uh, these three perspectives should be there. Number one, 
chronicling about the local warriors of the soil number 2 chronicling about the invaders the plunderers and the looters who plundered india who ruled india for some time number 3 the atrocities committed by these plunderers on the indian soil on the local indian population the heritage structures they destroyed the genocide they committed on lakhs of the hindu population the uh, lakhs of uh, our um, mothers and sisters were raped they were taken as sex slaves millions of dollars of wealth was looted india was called the sone ki chiriya and they looted everything so these atrocities should also be covered so all the three perspectives should be equally covered because truth should prevail but only one perspective has been covered in our history books that is the glorification of the invaders the plunderers the looters and the two other perspectives are completely ignored so how do we know how do we learn about our true history for this the academic history textbooks need to be changed but will that happen for example i just want to take on example from uh, rajasthan uh, when the bjp i won't take any political names here i won't take any uh, political party's name the one government came to power uh, they rewrote the history textbooks about maharana pratap Uh, everyone knows we have read uh, about the battle of haldighat in our history books and we have known that akbar won the battle but actually it was a stalemate neither party won and uh, after a few months after the battle of haldighat another battle took place between the rajputs led by rana pratap and the mughals and uh, the rajputs won and they regained back uh, 80% of the mewari territory from the mughals but this part of the history is not highlighted in the textbooks and we only know that akbar won the battle of haldighati so this particular uh, part of the story was rewritten when that government came to power but again when the other government came to power they again changed it to the original that akbar won the battle they even went to the extent of uh, removing the title of veer in veer savarkar so students there read savarkar as vinayak damodar damodar savarkar as savarkar only not veer savarkar and even the title of maha rana pratap so they read the students read about maharana pratap as rana pratap only they even deleted the maha title from the history textbooks so when will the history textbooks be rewritten that is again a far fetched affair it can happen very soon or it may not happen so what is the solution there should be a mass awareness among the citizens themselves they should raise their voice and pressurize the government and only when there is enough pressure from the citizens themselves that the history textbooks can be rewritten and uh, from again uh, there are many people including uh, major general gd bakshi ji and there are many more scholars who have been continuously researching on indian history and they have been uh, writing books and articles so one of my very small attempt is uh, presenting presenting this book saffron swords to the readers so that uh, we all get to know about the truth
about the true history of India, about our warrior ancestors. This book is based on 11 years of research. As uh, uh, Sarkarji said, that uh, myself and my husband, uh, Yogaditya Singh Rawal, used to travel across the country. We have a, especially have a Mahindra Thar, 4x4 Thar, for that purpose. We take the village roads uh, to various destinations. Uh, at one instance, we reached up to Raigar of Maharashtra and the Kach of Gujarat, just at one go. So that way we do our research and it has been, uh, we have been doing that since the last 11 years and it will continue till as long as we breathe. And this is only for the cause of the nation that uh, we are doing that and I would like to appeal uh, the citizens of India to please spread the word about our warrior ancestors, about the glory of our warrior ancestors so that the present generation and coming generation know about them. And uh, this is the ancestral chronicle. Saffron Swords is the ancestral chronicle of every Bharatiya. So again, I would like to appeal that to please buy the book, read it, and spread the word. I would like to thank uh, Ravi Ranjan Senji and everyone involved uh, here in making this event a big success. I also thank uh, the guests, the dignitaries here, the honorable guests here, and the ladies and gentlemen here for taking out time from your busy schedule to be here in this event. Vande Mataram Jai Hind. Not by the sword, but by the pen. And we also need, of course, warriors of the sword, and we also need warriors of the pen. So both uh, complement each other in a way, and we hope that all of us will uh, buy the book and uh, go through the book and also make our friends and other acquaintances read the book. Uh, I now invite the guest of honor for today, Dr. Jishnu Basu, to say a few words regarding the launching of these two books. Dr. Basu. His Excellency Professor Tathagatarai, the chair of this session, Professor Sharkar, Aajke Utsava Murthy, Major General G.D. Bakshi, the writer of this book and columnist, uh, Simati Manashi Shingha Rawal, Professor Robi Ranjan Shen, dignitaries on and off the dais, my dear friends. In fact, Manushi has rightly mentioned that for a nation, the building of a nation, it is necessary to understand the, its own history. It is required to define its nationhood. It is also required to prepare the correct narrative for this. I can give an example of Pakistan. The school leaving certificate, the matriculation certificate of Pakistan, the name of this examination is SSC, Secondary School Certificate. In Secondary School Certificate, the syllabus, in this syllabus, they have five compulsory subjects. Urdu, English, Mathematics, Islamic Studies, and Pakistan Studies. In Pakistan Studies, more than 70% is about the geography of Pakistan and only 30% is on the history of Pakistan. 
so a students the school leaving student is learning only 30 marks on history and the scholars uh, like Aisha Jalan and others they protested they tried to change the syllabus but the authority didn't do so the reason is very simple the defining the nationhood and knowing the history of a country clearly is required for the national for building a nation so in this aspect I think that the Saraswati civilization the book on Saraswati civilization and also the saffron sword these two books uh, would be very helpful for preparing the minds of the future India the Saraswati civilization I can uh, remember one my experience on uh, my experience few years back uh, the owner of the biggest Bengali medium uh, we had a discussion regarding Aryan invasion and it was in a, a very camaraderie mood and he is also uh, the he was the owner was a uh, knowledgeable person and I mentioned that see for the scient the if we consider the scientific development then it is almost impossible to prove the Aryan invasion as because two major articles has already been published one in the American Journal of Human Genetic another is the Journal of uh, Journal of Investigative Genetic over there they discussed about the they call it as a genomic view on peopling of India and in this article in the published in the American Journal of uh, Human Genetic in the conclusion it has been clearly mentioned that modeling of observed haplotype diversities suggest that both Indian ancestry components are older than the purported Indo-Aryan invasion 3500 yards beyond present so it is very clear that this this term this uh, haplotype it means that the genetic ingredient present in one chromosome so it is very clear for today's scientific development that this the hoax about the Aryan civilization is absolutely false in reply this person told me that why are you mixing science with history that I can consider is as true only if the eminent historians consider this thick as a historical fact I asked him who are the eminent historians he named some of the eminent historians then I said that how do you consider them as the eminent historians he said to see that by uh, education and training uh, their historians and uh, a, a large number of their articles has already been published in the uh, referred internationally reputed journals then I said I named another name I asked him that do you consider this Tamilian Brahman as an eminent historian then he said obviously yes he is presently heading the order then I said that see the deep person he is not from history background 
so he from from his schooling and his uh, education and training by training and education he is not a historian at all and he has a degree which is equivalent to phd yes correct but it has not been awarded by any of the universities in the world but you are considering him as a eminent hist historian what is the cause then he answered is a very very correct thing what he said the other eminent historians they are considering him as eminent historians and recognizing him i see yes it's correct that is the tragic part of the story the eminent historians they know the result before starting the research the if the result is aligned with the uh, world view of the eminent historian then you would be considered as a historian and that must follow the uh, historical materialism so if you are talking something else that you would not be considered as a historian so i think that this book this about the saraswati civilization and uh, uh, the uh, research and development regarding this subject is gradually helps to vaporize the the hawks about the aryan invasion regarding the saffron sword and i am very much uh, thrilled i would like to read this thing this stories of saffron sword uh, uh, in fact the saffron saffron swords had never been used to torture people saffron sword have never had never been used to conquer the other's land saffron swords had never been used for to protect the uh, slave trade the saffron sword had always been used to save their own motherland and protect the chastity of the mothers of the land that is the difference between these two things so the saffron swords as the mentioned by manushi just now that very little about them we know if you ask a, a school a school going student regarding the lachit barfukam the in the asham he cannot answer the lachit barfukam he defeated the moguls and because of him the arab invaders could not uh, go beyond the uh, asham so lachit barfukam not only protected the asham from the arab invasion but he protected the entire northeast he protected the far east up to myanmar that we don't consider if i talk about the putabaditto in west bengal you can test it that you ask any as a college uh, teacher who is teaching history in west bengal you, you you ask him to tell something about raja pratapaditya of joshur most of them cannot answer raja pratapaditya he defeated the moguls raja pratapaditya was a good governor the governance was such that in his uh, kingdom he considered all the religions his attitude to all the religion was really appreciable his in his uh, artillery the muslim uh, admirals were there and also he used the portuguese 
uh, technical person in his uh, battle boards. And he also allowed the Jesuits to establish the educational institutions in Jashore. That is the actual character of Shafran Sol. And this character, as we, uh, the, the, the hands who are holding the saffron swords, they used to believe that Sarve Bhavantu Shukhina Sarve Shantu Niramaya. They used to believe that Ekam Shat Vipra Bahuda Vadanti. They used to believe that what Shami Vivekananda said, Jibe Prem Korejei Jon, Shei Jon, Shebi Shei Itshar. And that is the reason why still today that one of these so-called supporters of this Tukra Tukra gang, he has been uh, nominated for the Shotish Jawan Chair Professor uh, in the Indian Institute of Science. And at the time of signing his appointment letter, the Minister of the Science and Technology, he knew that what is the background of this person. But even though we considered that, that the Bada is much more superior than Jalpa and Bibada at the time of discussion. So we also invite the opposite discussion and the narratives and discourse. But I am giving only one example. Do you think that Major General G.D. Bakshi would be selected as a very high, uh, important, prestigious chair in the state of Kerala? No, it would not happen. As because they are absolutely intolerant. And the saffron swords, they are tolerant. And that is the difference between the saffron sword and other things. So I think the subcontinent would be safe in the hands of the saffron swords. With this expectation, I would end my talk. Bande Mataram Bharat Mata Ki Chai. His Excellency Tatagat Roy, Governor of Meghalaya, distinguished guests on the dais, dignitaries, ladies and gentlemen. No other country in the world has its sense of self, has the idea of India as badly destroyed as, you know, our country's was, especially in the reign of the British. We have had 800 years of subjugation. 800 years of, you know, invasion after invasion. Our cities were burnt, our temples were destroyed, our women were raped, carried off to be sold in the brothels of Bukhara and Samarkand and Kabul. You know, but we lived through it all. 600 years of tyranny, the Afghans, the Arabs, the Mongols, the Mughals, the Turks, a whole lot of invader after invader had come and attacked India. And we all know about the Jewish Holocaust. How many of you have heard the term Hindu Holocaust? There were six million Jews killed by Adolf Hitler. Six million Jews killed by Adolf Hitler. Do you know that between the 13th and the 17th centuries, the estimates of the number of Indians killed, Hindus killed in this country. Just take a guess. Just take a guess. It ranges from 80 million to 100 million. 
that is the real holocaust of which we are not supposed to speak about because we have a kind of a secular mindset our version of secularism you know which which decrees that you can't talk of this that indian history starts with akbar period 16th century prior to that we've had no history so you see a nation that does not learn from its history is condemned to repeat it is absolutely condemned to repeat it and our sense of history was destroyed very very summarily by the british they 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 you know macaulay was set upon to destroy our educational system and then we had you know max muller and the others who wrote our history for us distorted it completely spin doctored it to suit the ends of the colonial empire right one of the things that they wanted to tell us was one of the reasons for the british to justify they had a need to justify how the foreigners could rule india they had to justify the foreignness of their rule in india right and therefore they came out with the theory you know chor chor musere bhai you heard this hindi expression hum bhi chor tum bhi chor hum bhi bahar se aaya aap bhi bahar se aaye aryans hai aap indo aryans you come from outside and therefore aap chor hum chor sab chor it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way ladies and gentlemen i'm not talking now from an emotive standpoint i'm talking as a research scholar i earned my phd after my retirement i've earned my phd after my retirement and we have learned the empirical research method so what i want to tell you about is we are on a drive to see that the distortions in our history are removed we started from the recent end of the freedom struggle we started with the role the comparative roles of netaji subhash chandra bose and mahatma gandhi and the congress party we have done research we sent people to do research in the british transfer of power archives and we have demonstrated in a series of books that the british would just not have left had it been left to mahatma gandhi and pandit nehru and a whole lot of other illustrious leaders of this country they left only and only because of netaji subhash chandra bose so with that the recent end of history we have attacked very very thoroughly and we have managed to change perceptions we have managed to change perceptions we are going to stick with it we will see we were told gade murde kyun ukhad rahe hain sahab we will uproot every single cops we will uproot every single cops we'll get the truth out because the truth concerns us all and with this book we are now attacking history from the other end can i have the next slide please i'll just keep saying next huh? you know the point that i'm trying to make here is that a country which is a country you know which does not have ownership of its history is bound to suffer more bouts of foreign rule you know it's bound to suffer more bouts of foreign rule and we must understand that the history of italy the history of russia the history of china or japan is not written in harvard 
or Oxford. It is written by them. You cannot accept, the Russians will not accept, the Chinese will not accept their history outsourced to Harvard or to Oxford or to any of these other countries. Yet we have been suffering this. And one of the first things that, you know, we have an army of leftist historians. The British rule is gone. But unke jo chamche hai, you know, they have been left behind in this country. A set of leftist historians, left liberal historians, the doyen of them being Romilla Thapad, Madame Romilla Thapad, you know, Ramachandra Goha and the others who are there to tell us how can you brown-skinned people change one word, change one word of what the British said about you? How can you? You know, they are there to see that that rule continues long after the empire is dead and gone. It's dead and gone. And one of their pernicious theories was the Aryan invasion theories. And just let's just quickly recapitulate that theory. You know, 1500 BC, the Aryans came in their chariots and in their war horses, right? They crossed the Himalayas, they crossed the Bolan and the Khyber Pass. How the bloody hell can you drive a chariot across the Himalayas? I don't know. I have served my whole bloody life in those mountains. I can't take a tank up there. You know? You can't take a tank up there. No, but the chariots came, you know? And they were the Dravidians who were there, as per the British theory, in the Indus Valley. And these ruthless Aryans, these murdering Aryans, they came, you know, Indra became Purandra, the destroyer of a hundred fort cities. Firstly, there are not a hundred cities in the Indus Valley civilization. There are only ten. So how did he destroy a hundred cities? I don't know. But, you know, Max Muller said so. Mortimer Wheeler said so. How can you question the Brits? How can you question a chap with a white skin? You know, it is this sense of inferiority, this slavish mentality, which is a pity that it is not gone 73 bloody years after your independence. It's still bloody, you know, turns up and curls up like this because you become slavish in your outlook. Absolutely slavish in your outlook. So they said, you know, the Aryans came and destroyed this, this particular place. And we just said, we just said, show us the corpses. Bhai, agar Aryan aya yaha pe slaughter kiya, where are the dead bodies? So they said, oh, we found 32 bodies at one place and 12 bodies at another place. All right. Now when we check those bodies, where are the marks of spears? Koi nahi. Pata chala, wo doob ke mara. And they were not all at the same level. You understand what I mean? You know, when, when people get, uh, you know, one era stops here, next era here, next era here, they are at various levels. They did not die together. They did not die together. So this whole theory was proved to be utter, utter, arrant nonsense. Undisputed nonsense, you know. And then we had, you know, they found, oh, this is not working. So Madam Romilla Thapad, and her, you know, acolyte, Dr. Sharma, R.S. Sharma, they came up with the Aryan migration theory. Nini sahab, wo migrate karke ayat. He didn't invade, he migrated. Now, migrated in 1500 BC. So we said, let us adopt 
a multidisciplinary approach to the study of our history. Because today, 73 years after independence, a whole lot of evidence has piled up in various fields of study, like, like, you know, the field of archaeology, we are doing carbon dating, fluoride dating, luminescence dating, all these dating methodologies, empirical facts are there, right? Then we have geology, the science of geology to help us, you know? And then we have genetic population, genetic mapping, that is being done, right? We have linguistic studies, we have scriptural analysis, we have a multidisciplinary approach. We just held a seminar in the University of Delhi and we called the leading ISRO satellite imagery experts, we called the geologists, we called the archaeologists, leading likes like Dr. B.B. Lal, Dr. Vasant Shinde, right, Dr. Bhisht, these are leading lights of Indian archaeology, we called them, we called some of the leading, you know, uh, geological experts leading geological experts in the country, leading scriptural and linguistic experts in the country to sit down under one roof and debate. We invited these people, these leftist historians, please join us for an intellectual discussion, debate. None of them came. None of them came. And we have been sending repeated in, you know, invitations. Then Rajiv Malhotra, he invited her to a discussion, she didn't come. So then he said, okay, madam, you know, he took all her videos and he put them on the stage and he destroyed, demolished each one of them one by one. It is amazing how this leftist cabal has ruled our minds for all these years, been allowed to get away with it. But you know, one of the best things that has now happened is that their central argument is there was no Saraswati river. There was no, it's a myth. Bakwas hai, jhoot hai. Ek chota sa nala tha Afghanistan mein Helmand. Wo tha Saraswati. Kyo? The Vedas say the Saraswati flowed from the Himalayas to the sea. Right? From the Himalayas to the sea. So this Helmand river starts from one bloody nala, ends up at another nala. How can that be the Saraswati? So you, you know, all this, uh, you know, all this the oral tradition of India had maintained the memory of a sacred river. Even today, if you go to Prayag, right, the Sangam, the boatman will tell you that this is the Ganga, that is the Yamuna, and the Saraswati went underground. Ladies and gentlemen, in 1970, in 1970, you know, the, the, the Landsat American satellite, which was sent up, sent back images of the dried out course of us, what was the Saraswati river from the mountains, Himalayas to the sea. After that, the ISRO has launched satellite after satellite, which have mapped every bit of this river's course from the Himalayas to the sea. It was a river, 4,600 kilometers long. Just go next, just go next again. We'll just do it fast. Next, I just want, ah, take a look at these satellite photographs. Go next. Go next, go next, yeah, that light blue river that you see on that slide is the satellite course of the river Saraswati starting from the Mansarovar Lake in Tibet, 4,600 kilometers long, 
six to eight kilometers wide and south of south of Patiala, where the Yamuna used to join this river and the Satlas used to join this river. Ice bearing streams, ice melt water. You can see that stream on that particular slide, which is the satellite photographic imagery reconstruction, right? It was 20 kilometers wide. This was a river bigger than the Brahmaputra, bigger than the Ganga. You see, and in the Vedas, Rig Veda, there are 72 verses about the Saraswati. And you know what they say? Naditama, Anutama, Devitama, the greatest of all the rivers, Naditama, the greatest of all the mothers, Anuttama, the greatest of all the, 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 the Devis, Devitama. You know, they talked of it in such glorious terms. They said, Oh mighty Saraswati, do not be angry with us. Do not destroy our homes. They're talking of a mighty torrent. You know, they're talking of a mighty torrent. And the whole secret of the history of our country hinges upon this river. And I'll tell you how. You know, we are supposed to have our origin in the Indus Valley civilization. Today, satellite imagery and archaeological studies have shown that 60 to 80 percent of the Indus Valley sites, sir, are not on the Indus, Indus River, but on the dried out course of the river Saraswati. So what happened to the Saraswati? 4,600 years ago, there was a massive earthquake. Just go to the next slide. Next? Huh? Yeah, next, next. Now you see, that is the Shivalik range on the top, right? And there you see towards the extreme right, there is the, you know, a tear gap in the Shivaliks. There was an earthquake 4,600 years ago and there, a tear fault arose in the Shivaliks. The Yamuna which used to join the Saraswati turned course and joined the Ganga. 50% of the ice melt water of the Saraswati went, you know. And next, you, you can see those Y1, Y2, Y3 channels of the Yamuna. They were joining the Saraswati, then they came towards one side and then by the Y3 channel it is now joining the Ganga. And all this the geologists have put on record, right? Scientific empirical evidence. Next, please. You know, this is where the, you know, 2700 years ago, there was a second earthquake and the Satlaj joined the Indus. It became a monsoonal stream around the time of the Mahabharat war. The monsoons failed for 12 consecutive years. Yuganta and south of Jaisalmer, you know, it went underground. What I want to just tell you is, I'll just show you now a series of photographs, which will give you a sense of your own history. Next, please. You know, if you see this one, you see the dense cluster of purple dots. Those are the so-called Indus Valley civilizations. And you will observe that the thickest cluster of dots are on the Saraswati River. Saraswati Valley civilization, not the Indus Valley civilization. The, the, the Greeks got it wrong because by the time they came, the Saraswati had dried out. By 2000 BC, the Saraswati had dried out, right? Now, they only saw the Indus. They said Indus, Indica, India. The very name given to you is wrong. The Arabs came, Sindhu, Hindu, Hindustan. 
whereas the actual cradle river is sir the saraswati the saraswati once again take a look next slide you just see those dots the cluster of white dots is not on the indus it is on the banks of the saraswati we are all sir saraswats and the kingdom which was there on the banks of the saraswati was bharat your true name is bharat varsh next please next now the indus valley script has still now not been deciphered but ladies and gentlemen we have found a whole lot of terracotta figurines right just take a look at these figurines of women if you look closely you will see that they have bindis on the forehead and manga you know in their in the bedian parting of the hair they have got sindoor vermilion see that right statue you look around this hall how many ladies here almost every lady here is sporting the bindi she is sporting the that that sindoor and this tradition sir goes back 8000 years and continuing that is the beauty of this civilization that is the strength of the civilization after 8000 years you have that cultural continuity let me show you more just photographs you see that woman wearing bangles and you see the present bangles of the way, the women in rajasthan and gujarat this tradition of wearing bangles goes back 8 to 9000 years and continuing next this is the most important you know figurines to emerge from the so called indus valley civilization these are little dolls in the postures of yoga siddhasan vajrasan padmasan all these are there they are almost 8 to 9000 years old the significant characteristics of this civilization is yoga and meditation next those are you know sketches of the poses of the poses that you have of yoga which you know the whole the this is still continuing still continuing yoga goes back 8000 years plus plus next please they what is this man doing he is meditating sir dhimahi you heard the gayatri mantra dhiyo yo na prachodayat bhargo devasya dhimahi dhimahi dhi means meditation we meditate upon this man is meditating now there are some people say nahi 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 wo to so raha hai next what is this man doing you know romila thapad and other nahi he is half asleep he was you know dozing in some conference okay here is the pashupati nath in meditation you got any doubt this is also sir 8000 years plus next you see the shivalinga the shivalinga goes back almost 9000 years if you go to the national museum today you enter the indus valley gallery and the first thing that you will see is the shivalinga you have you still have shivalingas today you still worship them you see that continuity see the figure on the right you know what those leaves are people people leaves aap people ka ped poochte hain ki nahi devta you see the continuity next please 
this is a toy cha a toy bullock cart when they took the proportions the bullock carts in india today have exactly the same proportion more or less next please you see that boat the boat on the on the right or my left you know is is the boats that are found in gujarat and you see those those seals exactly the same design of boat continues 8000 years and counting next please you know what is this just take a guess how many of you have been to a village school what is the phatta that you use you know us pe chalk lagaya jata tha ye phatti this is that phatti and this has been found from the so called in the saraswati valley civilization age 8000 plus next please see the pottery look at the pots and pans that you have in your house today it's just that they are made mostly of aluminium or steel the design is more or less constant the design is more or less constant next please this is one of the most interesting slides you see those red mushroom the ninth mandala of the rigveda is all about soma soma was supposed to be a psychotropic plant which when you ingested you got you got euphoria ecstasy creativity and you lost all fear so soma was eaten by the aryan warrior and the aryan rishi that red plant the german said is the botanical identity of soma now you see those statues those seals they have got the soma mushrooms around their head let me just show you what the soma mushroom is next slide please that is the soma mushroom okay soma was there in the indus valley civilization which is supposed to be a dravidian civilization but soma is the keystone the whole ninth mandala of the rigveda is about soma you still have doubts next please that is an aerial view of mohenjodaro and it looks almost like a chess board the game of chess has been found in the saraswati indus valley civilizational tract these are the drains they had an excellent system of drains it is better than mumbai and kolkata today i'm just coming from mumbai and mumbai is flooded three bloody days of rain and you know we were the the roads were like canals the roads were like canal we we were doing better 8000 years ago we were doing better next please we were told you know how did the aryans destroy the indus valley civilization they had chariots damn it they brought chariots across the himalayas how they didn't break down i don't know but this is a toy chariot found in the indus valley civilization how are you saying that they didn't have chariots nibola saab wo to toy hoga wo kahi se copy kar liya hoga you know the best thing is ki india can't produce anything of value it must all be copied so next just take a look at that we have actually found a 4000 year old chariot in bagpat and bagpat incidentally you know the uh, the 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 pandavas had asked for five villages you know pani prastha indra prastha baga prastha you know these are the villages and they have found a chariot remains of a chariot there there you are you can you can see it it's just been located so this nonsense ki the indians never knew chariots that's why they got beaten that is a problem next please next please the radiocarbon dating of bhirana proves it is 8000 years old and the lower 
some of the lower strata the age has been put with empirical carbon dated dating luminescence dating 9500 years old max muller said that the aryans came here in 1500 bc right now i ask you a simple question the rig veda the oldest veda they said they wrote the vedas 1200 bc how he came to that magic figure nobody knows nobody knows you see now the fact of the matter is geologists tell us that by 2000 bc the saraswati river had dried out so how is the rig veda calling the saraswati the mother of floods you don't call up dried out nala the mother of floods you see so by that time the saraswati had dried out now i ask you a question when a river is dying when a river is drying out what will happen to the people on the banks will they stay put or will they migrate they will migrate sir will people from outside come to die jahan pani nahi hai bahar se log aayenge 1500 bc mein to die kyunki sab pani khatam ho gaya look at the fallacies the ridiculous logic bahar se wo aa gaye aryans came you know to a river which had was turning into a desert rajasthan was once green you know rajasthan once had rhinoceros gende hote the sab wahan jaise barak valley mein jaise jaise assam mein hai brahmaputra ke paas hai it was so green it had dried out it became a desert and you are saying now people from outside will come to die they are very fond of dying here you see you know the whole argument is ridiculous but more ridiculous is the fact sir that you and i accepted it ki angrez ne bola hai sahab angrezon ke zamane ke jailer hain hum angrezon ke zamane ke jailer next please i'm i'm just about to finish yeah next please you know that is one of the statues in what is called the anjali mudra it has been found from the saraswati valley civilization and you see on the right now sir do you see the continuity you are the oldest surviving civilization on the face of this planet you are older than egypt you are older than mesopotamia you are older than greece and rome and the mayas and the only civilization that can hold a candle to you is the chinese the only civilization that can hold a candle to you is chinese this namaste mudra this anjali mudra has spread all across asia to tibet to bhutan to nepal to sri lanka to burma to thailand to vietnam you know to cambodia to laos everywhere the same namaste is done till today kuch hai hum mein ki mit sakti nahi kabhi hasti hamari sadiyon raha hai dushman daure zama hamara sare jahan se acha thank you i like to end here because we are invite our chief guest shri tathagata roy the honorable governor of meghalaya to deliver his speech present on the dais the president professor dr shriti kumar sarkar ex vice chancellor of bordhaman university Major General G D Bakshi
सेवा मेडल विशिष्ट सेवा मेडल जस्ट नाउ रिगेलिक एंड वेरी ट्रूथफुल एक्सपोजिशन ऑफ द पास्ट ऑफ इंडिया डॉक्टर जिष्णु बासु श्रीमती मानसी सिन्हा रावल रविरंजन सें secretary of the bharatiya itihas sankalan samiti distinguished audience ladies and gentlemen there are two disadvantages of being the last speaker in any gathering first is everyone is in a hurry to go home and nobody is paying you attention either go home or have lunch or whatever depending on the time of the day and the other one is that what you had prepared for has already been spoken by the earlier speakers <laughs> so i'll try to improvise something which i have been able to do over the last uh, few minutes during which the other speakers were speaking and had finished off what i had intended to say see dr jidi bakshi is one person whom i congratulate hugely for having graduated from soldiering to history actually i can be said to be a very poor follower of him because i had trained in a pick and shovel profession that is civil engineering eventually i uh, stepped into a totally unrelated thing called law and i practiced for some time in the interface area of the two but i ended up in history being a history buff became a history buff that is my only qualification i don't have a single qualification in history but i am a history buff i had once asked a historian a very hostile historian but who for some reason took a fancy to me and invited me to a very nice breakfast he is dead now i had once asked him about the role of amateur historians if i could call myself one in the writing of history and he said not grudgingly but out open he said that amateur historians positively have a role in uh, exposing history so i took courage from that and i shall try to bring to you certain aspects of the writing of history in this country which might have escaped your attention it has certainly escaped the attention of those people whom we call the left liberal historians whom to whom general bakshi had referred <laughs> see at some point of time very early when i was 8 years old i was passing through sialda station and i saw humanity in a horrible condition the sialda station concourse was totally flooded with people and these people were i mean you down and out down and out it's it's understating it the people were eating there they were sitting there they were sleeping there they were even urinating and defecating there because they had no other place to go the whole place was full of the stink of their cooking of the peelings of vegetables i was quite aghast 
as a guest, as an eight-year-old can be, and I asked my father, who are these people? Then he said, they are refugees. I said, what is a refugee? I had this bad habit of asking questions. I still have it. <laughs> I asked him, what is a refugee? He said, people who have been driven out. I said, where have they been driven out from? He said, East Bengal. Then I said, who has driven them out? Then my father said, I'll give you one tight slap if you ask one more question. <laughs> because my father was a secular person. Well, like in every, any nice eight-year-old boy, I shut up. But the question refused to leave me. And then much, much later, I started asking this question once again. When I was into my 40s and I started looking for books. The Exodus of Hindus from East Bengal, what is now known as Bangladesh. I did not find a single book. <clears throat> there were a few in Bengali which were in bits and pieces. There was one written by a gentleman called K.A.J. Kamra who did not know Bengali, but in spite of that, he took the trouble of researching the subject. He was a Balochi refugee from Quetta. He had started researching the subject. He died halfway through. Then another person with whom we are familiar, that is Professor, uh, uh, what's a Belgian professor? Conrad uh, Elst, yes, Conrad Elst who had finished that book, but Elst also did not read Bengali, and most of the literature, most of the source was in Bengali. <clears throat> so I was enthused to write a book about it, and much later I found out that there was a saying by a Nobel laureate African-American writer called Toni Morrison. Some of you might have heard of her. She had died a few days back, a few weeks back, he had said that if there is a book which you would very much like to read, but which has not been written, then you must write it. I had not come across this saying at that time, but somehow I got enthused into writing it, and later on I found, it, found this as a justification of my try writing, trying to write history in spite of not being a historian. So I started researching. Another fact was that the history of the, the memories of the people who had seen it with their own eyes were fading. And unless I tapped their memories, either they would forget or they would go up to the <coughs> upstairs. And therefore, I decided to go about this job. And I came out with this book, which was called My People Uprooted. And later on, I translated into it into Bengali. It has won some acclaim. I have written only two books, this and the biography of Dr. Shama Prashad Mukherjee. <clears throat> but in the course of this writing, of the writing and researching for this book, I was appalled by the way in which certain aspects of history, particularly the history around our partition and independence, was ignored. Take the case of the Punjab partition versus the Bengal partition. There must be at least a dozen books on the Punjab partition. There are serious books written by people like G.S. Khosla, Penderel Moon, and others. There are books of fiction or works of fiction like those written by Sadat Hassan Manto 
or by Bhishma Sahani. But about the Bengal partition, there is only, to date, there is only one complete book written in English which was written by yours truly. Even after that, I have not been able to enthuse historians to research this subject further and write on this. Some have written in Bengali, but nobody in English, so that the rest of India can't read it. See, there are certain things about this partition which are totally unknown. So I will, within the limited time that I have, or I have allotted myself, considering the compulsions of the last speaker in any gathering, uh, <clears throat> I will mention a few things. For instance, the partition of Bengal. What was at the root of the partition of Bengal? The root was in 1937, when in the elections in Bengal, no party got a majority. There were three parties in the fray. One is Muslim League, we all know about it. The second was the Congress, and the third was a party called the Krishak Praja Party, which was led by Fazlul Haq. Fazlul Haq was, was a leader of Muslim peasants, but they were Muslim only incidentally. They were primarily peasants, and he was interested in their welfare. It was not prima facie a Muslim party. Therefore, was it not the normal thing to do for the Congress, led by Sarachandra Bose, whose grandson is sitting here on the, the front row, led by Sarachandra Bose and the party of Muslim, the uh, Fazlul Haq, these parties to form a coalition together so as to keep the highly communal Muslim League out of the fray? Very surprising that the Congress did not do it. And it is not due to Sarachandra Bose, but because the central leadership wished it not to happen. I have not yet found out the reason, and that is, this is, I'm throwing, this is a challenge that I'm throwing to all historians present here. Please find out the reason. You'll have to dig through the archives, which I'm not trained to do, but you'll have to find out the reason why this was not done. Why? Congress did not form a coalition with the Krishak Praja Party and kept the Muslim League out of power. Had they done it, Bengal would not have been partitioned. The whole of Bengal would have been formed, would have been part of India. We would not have had seen the <coughs> sorry scene that I had seen at the age of eight years at the Sialda station. Yet it happened. This is not the end. <coughs> See, in 1944, Mahatma Gandhi and C. Rajagopal the two hatched a plan. How did they hatch a plan? <clears throat> because in 1942, after he, Mahatma Gandhi gave the call for the uh, August Revolution, they had uh, the uh, British promptly imprisoned them. They had moles in the Congress. They, they informed the British that this was going to happen. So as soon as it happened, it, they imprisoned them. But after some time, Gandhiji fell ill, and the British did not want something untoward to happen while he was in their prison, so they released him. And before this, Rajagopalachari had opposed this scheme of uh, quit India, 
So Rajagopalachari was not imprisoned. Now Rajagopalachari and Gandhiji got together and they decided that we must accept a so-called lesser evil. That lesser evil was called the partition of India and formation of Pakistan. So they decided to go and speak to Jinnah. They would go to Jinnah. Jinnah was agitating for partition of the country, which Congress had not yet accepted. Now, Gandhiji and Rajagopalachari, at a time when the rest of the Congress leaders were all in prison, the two of them just decided to go and beg Jinnah with a proposal which Rajagopalachari called a sporting offer. What kind of sport this was, it beats me. But that's what he called. In return, Jinnah expressed what Gandhiji himself described as a staggering contempt for Rajagopalachari. Jinnah, of course, rejected it. It was practically a proposal for Pakistan. This was the first time the Congress was accepting partition in a slightly garbled way. Gandhi, Jinnah said this was a proposal for a moth-eaten Pakistan. But he was rejoicing inside his mind that this is the first time the Congress has come and accepted partition. This is something which is not known to most people. Why has it been hidden from the public view? Why has this horrible gap of a section of the Congress in which Gandhiji was one person hidden? And the third thing is, <clears throat> I'd like to refer to, is the proposal of the partition itself. See, in 1946, so incidentally, two people, Dr. Shamaprasad Mukherjee and uh, Dr. Ambedkar, who were both out of prison, they had both entreated Gandhiji and Rajagopalachari not to do it. You know what Gandhiji said? He said, my inner light is telling me to do it. <clears throat> he had once said some such thing to Jinnah. And Jinnah retorted to hell with his inner light. Why can't she say he made a mistake? <clears throat> so now, this was done. And in 1946, January, Dr. Shamaprasad Mukherjee wrote on his diary that the Hindu-Muslim problem will not be solved without a civil war. Once I wrote this on Twitter and there was a fusillade of abuse against me as if I wrote it. And I wrote it only yesterday. It was written in 1946 by Dr. Shama Mukherjee. And actually civil war, came to, civil war came to this country in the form of the great Calcutta killings of August 1946. Dr. Shama Mukherjee had the political sagacity to foretell that this such a thing was happened eight months in advance. And it happened. Then, in another few months, the Congress accepted partition. Now, I will just very briefly refer a parallel case where a partition was demanded and refused. We have all heard of Abraham Lincoln, and we all know him for abolition of slavery, emancipation of the slaves in the United States. But the Americans hold him in greater respect. Of course, they do hold him in uh, respect for emancipation of the slaves, but they hold him in greater respect because he kept the union together. 
That is why the United States is the most powerful country in the world because it was one country. The Confederates, people who wanted to keep the slaves, keep slavery, they had formed a different union and they had seceded from the United States. Lincoln went to civil war against them. This is the civil war that Dr. Shamaprasad Mukherjee was referring to. Why couldn't our leaders have the courage to go to civil war and prevent a partition, which Lincoln could? Because we had no leaders of the caliber of Lincoln. We had leaders who were eager for power. All these years, all these years, Nehru had confessed to Leonard Mosley that we were old men and getting on in years and we were tired and we had been in jail. Now, what he didn't mention is that we were dying for power. So let half the 25% of the country go. Let people become paupers. Still, I want to be the Prime Minister of India. These are a few nuggets of history that I have been found to be missing from history books, which I have just pointed out, but I have not been able to go into depth in this. This is, there is a distinguished audience of historians here. I beg of you, please go into this thing, research this, and bring this out in the open. Number one, why? Fazlul Haq's Krishak Praja Party and Congress did not form a coalition in Bengal in 1937. Number two, why Gandhiji and Rajagopalachari made this horrible mistake of going to Jinnah and offering Pakistan. And third, why didn't we go to civil war to prevent partition of the country, prevent so much bloodshed all over the country and resulting in an absurdity which is called uh, the divided India. I leave this matters to you and I thank all of you for having given me a very patient hearing and particularly Rabiranyan Shen and his band of people for having organized this very nice meet, uh, evening and the uh, Dr. Manushisina and General Jidivakshi for having authored two excellent books which we had the privilege to unravel here. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And an excellent end to today's program. Please, I appeal to all of you, since you have been waiting so long, to just wait for another three minutes. Exactly. We have one announcement. After that, we will have a vote of thanks, and then the, uh, we will have the uh, national anthem. So all of you have to wait for another three minutes. On 14th September, Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti is going to organize a special lecture entitled Sri Ramkrishner Drishtite Bharat Barsho. The uh, speaker is Dr. Achinto Biswas, ex-Vice Chancellor of Gourbongo University, Malda. It will be on 14th September, Saturday at 5 o'clock in the Ashutosh Mukherjee Memorial Institute Hall in Bhavanipur. All of you are invited uh, there also. And we assure you that like today, we will continue to organize such programs in future. And we will work in the, among the uh, thinking sections of the people of Kolkata to uh, change the mindset and to bring back our 
uh, thought processes, our academic and intellectual thinking back to our Indic roots. And uh, we now have the uh, vote of thanks, after which we will directly stand up for the national anthem. After that, we have tea outside. And after the national anthem, all of you can go and have a cup of tea outside. Uh, I invite Sri Utpal Biswas, uh, a research scholar at Presidency University and Yuva Itihaskar Pramukh of Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti to deliver the vote of thanks. On behalf of Indian Academy and Bharatiya Itihas Sankalan Samiti, we would like to thanks all the guests, Sri Tathagaturai, Honorable Governor, and the authors, Major General G.D. Bokshi and Manushi Sinha Rawal, and also Jishnu Bosu, and the Kala Mandir authorities, the Kolkata police, all our volunteers who help this program to success, and all of our kids and, and Sanskar Bharati. Thank you. We will now uh, stand up for the national anthem. Vindha Himachal Jamuna Ganga Uchchal Jaladhita Ranga Tab Shubha Name Jage Tab Shubha Aashish Maage Gahe Tab Jaya Gatha Janagana Mangal Dayak Jayahe भारत भाग्य विदाता जय हे जय हे जय हे जय 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 हे जय जय मात